Today on Blue 58, the Packers have no settling in period to start the 2022 season. They kick things off with a road matchup against a division rival. Let's see what the Minnesota Vikings are all about. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdank. Happy to be with you here for another episode. And for the first time since January, we get to bring you a preview episode. You've been a kind of a work in progress for me over the past few years. We've tried a few different things. I think I'm finally at a point where I'm, I'm comfortable with the way the previews are going to go. We're going to talk a little bit about um, just things headed in, into this game, overall impressions. Then we'll talk in depth about the Vikings offense, the Vikings defense, some about the Vikings special teams. Then we'll get into predictions and stuff like that, as well as uh, some polls. We are bringing back polling for the 2022 season as well, and we just completed our first poll stuff of the 2022 season today. So that all being said, the Minnesota Vikings. We talk on this show a lot about team life cycles, and I think the Vikings are in a really interesting and potentially, I guess, how you look at it, weird spot with their team life cycle. Bringing on a new coach, a new general manager, typically indicates, okay, we're early in the cycle here, right? That's generally the way things go. You start from scratch, you bring in your guys, all those sorts of things. And that may yet happen, but they still have a core of guys right now. And that core looks like it's pretty late in its cycle. You've got Kirk Cousins, who's 34. You've got Harrison Smith at 33. Adam Thielen is 32. Eric Kendricks, their excellent linebacker, is 30. Zedaria Smith and Patrick Petersons are not uh, Patrick Peterson, excuse me, are not necessarily core guys, but Smith is 30, Peterson's 32. You see what I'm saying? A bunch of key guys, especially on defense, are on the older side here. And to be sure, they've got some younger pieces too. Daniil Hunter is in his age 27 season. Justin Jefferson is 23. But a lot of the bigger guns are on the older side already, which is not necessarily where you want to be when you're I don't want to say rebuilding, but starting a new era as a team. They're going to have to do some retooling here in the relatively near future. But for right now, they've got a bunch of formidable pieces, though a little bit on the older side. And I think it's interesting, it's going to be interesting to see how the Vikings develop as the season goes on. Because on the one hand, they should be getting better as the year goes on because Kevin O'Connell will get a chance to implement what he wants to do. He'll get a chance to really settle in with his offense and stuff like that over the course of the year. But on the other hand, a lot of these guys have had some pretty lengthy injury histories in, in relatively recent future, or recent history. Uh, Thielen in particular, uh, Zedaria Smith, uh, Patrick Peterson, Daniil Hunter, they've all had injury problems. They're healthy now, but how long are they going to stay healthy and how will that affect the overall um, season for the 2022 Minnesota Vikings. But let's talk about the Vikings specifically. We'll start on the offensive side. Their head coach is Kevin O'Connell. And O'Connell has the head job in Minnesota after a fairly long road to get there. He was a journeyman NFL player over a few seasons uh, from 2008 to 2012. He played with the Patriots, Lions, Jets two different times, the Dolphins and the Chargers, uh, varying between the active roster and practice squad during that span. He got his first NFL coaching gig in 2015 as a quarterback coach for the Browns. 2015, an important year because Mike Pettin was the head coach that season. Pettin is now an assistant in Minnesota. He brought along Mike Smith from Green Bay, both of whom were very familiar with Zadarius Smith. Those connections are important in the NFL. 
O'Connell jumped to the 49ers uh, in 2016 as their special projects coach after a year with the Browns. Chip Kelly was the head coach then. Then he moved to Washington under Jay Gruden from 2017 through 2019. Also worth noting, Bill Callahan was their offensive coordinator during that span. So uh, after that, we should we should mention one last thing, one last stop. He was the offensive coordinator for the Rams under Sean McVay in 2020 and 2021. And of course, he won a Super Bowl there last season. So some connections to the McVeigh-Shanahan tree, but also some serious influences from the old school West Coast style stuff under guys like Gruden, uh, under Callahan, and whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever Mike Pettin's crew was doing in 2015. Not a lot. Elsewhere on the offensive staff you, staff, you have Wes Phillips, who is Wade Phillips' son and the current offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. He's been in and around the NFL for a long time, but most importantly, in, in terms of his connections to O'Connell, he was the Rams' tight ends and passing games coordinator, tight ends coach and passing game coordinator last year. Now he ends up as the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. Scheme-wise, I think the Viking stuff is going to end up looking a lot like what we've come to see from the Rams and Packers and under other teams kind of in that network. A lot of 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, three receivers, which works really well for the Vikings for reasons we'll talk about here in a second. A lot of wide zone, which is what they did the couple, the last couple of years under Clint Kubiak and, and even Gary Kubiak there too. And then play action, I think we'll see a healthy dose of that as well. I think that works really well with what the Vikings have, starting with their quarterback. Kirk Cousins, the head man there. And we all know Kirk Cousins, right? We don't have to go super in-depth here. Cousins is the quarterback you would immediately replace if you had a shot at something even slightly better. But you also don't just want to get rid of him because you know that you could also do a lot, lot worse than Kirk Cousins. And I'm probably higher on Cousins than most because I think you can win a lot of games with him. Just as a for instance, I think he's a much better quarterback than Eli Manning and Joe Flacco. And those two guys have three Super Bowl rings between them. The point is, if you put him in the right spot and things go well for you, you can win a Super Bowl. If things go well for, well for the Vikings, I think they could probably win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. A lot would have to go right, I think, uh, given the overall strength of this team, but it's not impossible. And I think most importantly, as the Packers have seen, Cousins can make you pay if you let him. He has really hurt the Packers at times in the past. He'll have to do that despite some question marks on the offensive line. Now, they have added a few new bodies this year. Last year, it wasn't great. Um, but there, there are some plus sides there, too. Uh, Football Outsiders had them as the 24th best run-blocking offensive line in the NFL last year, but they were third best in avoiding sacks, and they're going to need big steps forward from a couple guys on the line uh, to continue that sort of success, avoiding those sacks. That largely tracks with ESPN stats as well. Uh, they use pass block win rate and pass rush win rate, or pass uh, run block win rate and pass block win rate as their two offensive line metrics. As a team, the Vikings ranked 24th in run block win rate and 13th in pass block win rate. So a little bit better pass protecting than run blocking, uh, but not necessarily like spectacular on either end. There are some question marks up front. In terms of the passing game, the Vikings have some very good weapons. Justin Jefferson is as good as they come. And in a just world, he would have been with the Packers in 2020 and just ascending in his third year now. Nevertheless, still very good. Adam Thielen uh, has been previously very good, but now a little less uh, of the statistical monster that he was still, I think, could be very dangerous. 
I will talk about him a little bit more here in a second. Their third receiver, K.J. Osborne, may also be worth watching. He said this week that he wants to be known as the best third receiver in the NFL. Normally, I would say that's a pretty weird thing to say, but considering who else is on the Vikings roster, you kind of see where he's coming from. He's not going to be ahead of Thielen. He's certainly not going to be ahead of Jefferson, so he's got to be content with a, a third role right now. And as to his remark, he might have a good shot at being that best third receiver in the NFL. Had 50 catches for 655 yards and seven touchdowns in 2021. I think with a little bit more creativity on offense, he's got a good chance at replicating those numbers. Now, Jalen Rager is a wild card. The Vikings traded for him near the end of training camp. I don't think that's a particularly great move. I don't think he's especially useful as an NFL player. He might be fine as, like, say, a punt returner, but I don't think that's a really good reason to trade for somebody. And he's certainly not as good as their other receivers, so any targets that you're using on Rager instead of on Jefferson, Thielen, or Osborne is hurting your offense. So you probably don't want a guy like him around anyway just because of the temptation it would be to, you know, use him. So let's hope the Vikings are using him a lot because he's certainly not as dangerous as any of those other three receivers. In the run game, Dalvin Cook runs the show, but there's a theory going around from people who would know that C.J. Ham is going to be a crucial part of this operation this year. From Arif Hassan at The Athletic, uh, he thinks C.J. Ham has a good shot at being a key part of the, pack, of the, the Vikings' offensive personnel this year. Quoting from a piece that he wrote this week, O'Connell has insisted throughout the offseason that this year's Vikings offense wouldn't be the 2021 Rams offense with different personnel, but rather its own unique entity built around what the 2022 Vikings can do. Early in the offseason, he even pointed to some differences we can expect between the two. We were a predominantly an 11 personnel team. This is O'Connell now. That would be with three wide receivers on the field with a back and tight end, he said, when describing the Rams. With the Vikings, I would hope to be more multiple just based on the fact that we have the personnel to do that, from the tight ends to C.J. Ham. The different variations how you want to attack people in the run game just force them to have to defend a lot more offense that we can then marry with pass play or play pass keepers, drop back screens to try to generate explosives, end quote. So C.J. Ham, I think they're thinking of him as like the Packers, Josiah DeGuara, or the 49ers, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, just a guy who's nominally a fullback, but really you can use in a lot of different situations. And I think that tracks with some of the other stuff that I've been reading about the Vikings offense. They want to be a little bit more multiple. They want to move people around, specifically a guy like Adam Thielen. And there is a segue for you. I wrote about him for Acme Packing Company in a piece that will be dropping on Friday. The overall thesis here is this. Thielen's numbers have really declined the past couple of years. He was really great in 2017 and 2018, one of the best receivers in the league, in fact, but things have not quite gone so well for him the past couple of years. He's been hurt for one. Uh, Justin Jefferson has arrived for another. But the Vikings have also used him in a dramatically different way than he was used in 2017 and 2018. Those two years, Thielen spent the vast majority of his time in the slot. More than half of his snaps, both of those seasons, came from the slot, according to Pro Football Focus. In 2019, 2020, and 2021, that changed. His slot usage dropped dramatically. He was only spending about 30% of his time in the slot. Still more than Justin Jefferson, who is known as a guy who can really hurt you from the slot. But I think Jefferson siphoned off a lot of his slot snaps and made Thielen a little bit less effective as a receiver. On top of that, he just hasn't been used downfield all that much lately. In 2021, his average depth of target was just nine and a half yards. That was half a yard lower than his previous career low 
in 2018, and that was also his last elite season. By way of comparison, look at Randall Cobb. He's a slot guy if there ever was one, but in 2021, he had an average depth of target of 10 and a half yards. Basically, what I'm saying is Thielen has been declining in part due to injury, yes, but also the Vikings have been using him differently, and it's not allowing him to do what he's best at. I think there's a good chance that O'Connell is going to be a little bit more creative than that with Thielen, and I think it is a reason to watch him this Sunday and throughout the season, uh, even if you're a little bit wary about the Vikings being a a great team overall. How do the Packers stop the Vikings offense? Well, pressure is never a bad idea against any quarterback, but you have to be careful against Kirk Cousins. He's always done pretty well against the Blitz, and that is generally consistent with stuff we've said over the last couple of seasons about veteran quarterbacks. They just tend to do a little bit better against the Blitz. He was Pro Football Focus's second best graded quarterback against the Blitz in 2021. Now, historically, I think the Packers have done best against Cousins when they take advantage of something that's kind of a sneaky bad tendency for him. Not even sneaky, I guess. He tends to play pretty conservative. So if you just give him check down options forever and then rally to the ball when he takes them, you've got a good shot of, of doing pretty well against Kirk Cousins. The second game the Packers played against Cousins in 2019 is the perfect example of that approach working well. That day, Cousins went 16 of 31 for 122 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. According to Pro Football Focus, he only threw one time that day under pressure from a blitz. 19 of his 32 attempts that day were 9 yards downfield or less, including 3 that were behind the line of scrimmage. He only threw the ball 10 yards or more downfield eight times, went one of seven on attempts of 20 or more yards. Compare that to how the Packers fared against Cousins in week 11 of last year. They blitzed him a bunch and they paid for it. He had 14 pass attempts while he was blitzed. He went nine of 14 for 162 yards and two touchdowns on those 14 attempts. He also was able to get the ball downfield a little bit more overall. He had 13 attempts of 10 yards or more. He was 7 of 7 on attempts from 10 to 19 yards. That's going to hurt you. So try to avoid blitzing Kirk Cousins if you can, if you can get pressure through other means or um, generally just sit back and kind of let him take the the short routes and then make sure that they can't get any more yards than just what, what happens on the completion. I think you're on your way to a successful game against Kirk Cousins. Switching over to defense, the Packers will be up against an old friend. Ed Donatel is the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, and you may remember him from a relatively uninspiring stint as the Packers defensive coordinator in the early 2000s if you are a Packers fan of a certain age. And if you are, the words fourth and 26 will come to mind when you hear the name Ed Donatel. Since that 2003 season, he's been on a bit of a journey as an NFL defensive coach. He was the coordinator for the Falcons from 2004 through 2006. He had a one-year stint with the Jets in 2007. Then he coached with Washington, not in the NFL, in college football in 2008 before he jumped back to the NFL with the Broncos as a secondary coach in 2009 and 2010. Then his really big break happens. In 2011, Donatel joins the 49ers staff under head coach Jim Harbaugh, but more importantly, under defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. He's in the role of secondary coach there. Fangio brings him along to Chicago when he gets the defensive coordinator gig there, and Donatel keeps the same job. Now, when Fangio gets the head coaching job in Denver in 2019, Donatel becomes the defensive coordinator there. 
somewhat in name only because Fangio still has a lot of control over the defense. Now, Shanahan tree guys really like the Fangio scheme. Sean McVay had Brandon Staley, who was a Fangio disciple if there ever was one. Matt LaFleur has Joe Barry, who learned under Staley, who learned from Fangio. And now O'Connell has Donatel, who's learned the system under Fangio for the last decade-ish. On top of that, I think it's significant that Donatel was the secondary coach for Fangio because that is the real root of his system. It's less about matchups up front than building from the secondary. He builds his defense back to front, which is in contrast to a lot of how other how a lot of other NFL defensive schemes work. Mike Zimmer's scheme in particular prioritized a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage, a lot of pre-snap games with the quarterback, as well as disguising some coverages and stuff like that. But you'll definitely remember Zimmer's famous double A gap pressure as being a staple there. Love to have two guys right next to the center before the snap, either bringing real or simulated pressure. The Vikings' pass defense, I think, was just okay in 2021. They were 13th overall by DVOA. Cameron Dantzler, probably their best corner right now, by a hair over Patrick Peterson, probably because Peterson has just aged a little bit out of that role, though I think he's still pretty good. The biggest story in their past defense is that they added two defensive backs. And I should correct something I just said there. Dantzler, probably their best corner. Harrison Smith, still clearly their best player in the secondary. So two players added to their um, defensive secondary. Uh, Lewis Seen, a safety in the first round, and Andrew Booth, a corner in the second. Seen was a second-tier safety for us in the pre-draft process. So we only looked at guys who were athletic athletes, and Seen certainly is that. We'll talk about that in a second. But he didn't make a ton of plays on the ball, though he was good in coverage, according to Pro Football Focus, in college. He was Dane Brugler's number three safety in his pre-draft uh, rankings. Again, a good coverage grade his final college season, but was dinged by just about everybody who talked about him for not making plays on the ball more consistently. You got to give him a little bit of a grade on a curve there, though, because he played at Georgia. And that's something that we talked about in the pre draft process. Uh, guys like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and even Quay Walker didn't have as many opportunities to make plays on the ball as they would have had they played at a less talented or with a less talented defense because there were just so many other guys there making plays. So I don't know if you can knock seen a whole lot for not making a ton of plays on the ball, but it is, I think, noteworthy that he didn't. However, like he said, like we said, a tremendous athlete, 992 relative athletic score, ran a 43740 at six feet two inches and 199 pounds. Also posted an eleven foot broad jump. He can move. Uh, he played some box stuff in college, played the money position, think like the star position for the Packers or for the Fangio scheme, whatever at Georgia. I think he's going to be a movable piece for the Vikings, and I think he's a useful player, especially when you've got Harrison Smith back there as well. In terms of Mr. Andrew Booth, he was Dane Brugler's number four corner in this class. He didn't have testing numbers, at least not running numbers, so we didn't take a look at him pre-draft. Six feet tall, 196 pounds, pretty good size, played outside corner at Clemson. Here's the bottom line from Dane Brugler, and tell me if this sounds like the sort of guy that Aaron Rodgers is going to be testing early. Brugler said this, quote, Overall, Booth's tape has some volatility, and he must mature his feel for spacing. But he has fluid athleticism, finds the football, and disrupts the catch point. Three important ingredients to playing the position at a high level. He has NFL starting traits if he stays healthy and projects best in a man-heavy scheme, end quote. A guy who's getting used to the spacing of the NFL sounds like the sort of guy that Aaron Rodgers is going to make a point of finding. 
may be worth noting there. In terms of run defense, specifics aren't super important here, and I, I'm wary of getting too far into the, the Vikings defense is going to be like this sort of things, because for one, it's an entirely new season. For another, they've got a new defensive coordinator. And for a third thing, like we said, they've got a bunch of new personnel as well. So the specifics aren't super important here because we don't really know all that much. However, I do think it is worth pointing out that two key players on their defense don't help them all that much in run defense. Daniil Hunter is a great pass rusher, but he's not a great run defender. But he's so good at rushing the passer that you don't really want to take him off the field. That is a weakness on your defense. Zadarius Smith, for his part, is also a great pass rusher. But he, too, can be a liability against the run. He wasn't a great edge setter in Green Bay. And if you're playing to his strengths and bumping him inside, where he's especially dangerous as a pass rusher, he can tend to give up a lot of size, too. Going on listed weight... You put Z in the mid-270s or so, he'd be about 50 pounds lighter than Josh Myers, the Packers' center, and about the same for John Runyon, their left guard. Now, right guard is up in the air, so it's possible that Z could have a favorable matchup there, but the Vikings are giving a little bit up in terms of run defense by having him on the interior and having both him and Hunter on the field together. So where should the Packers attack on defense? Well, when they're on offense, where should they attack the Vikings' defense? I think this is a game where you want to pass to establish the run. So spread out their defense, make the rookies and other weak players in their secondary cover. Chandon Sullivan is there, for goodness sake. And then run when you have advantageous numbers. Assuming you can protect against their pass rushers, and that is a sizable assumption given what we don't know about the Packers' offensive line right now, I think that is a winning strategy. Quick look at Vikings special teams. Their kicker is Greg Joseph. He's in his fourth year already on his third NFL team. He kicked for the Browns in 2018, the Titans in 2019, didn't kick for anybody in 2020, but went 33 for 38 on field goals for the Vikings last year, 7 of 9 on attempts from 50-plus. Their punter is a rookie, Ryan Wright, out of Tulane. I don't have any interesting details about him as a kicker, but he did major in management and marketing at Toledo. Those are the kind of nuggets that I know that people live for. Kick returner is going to be uh, Kenny Nguanyu. Nguanyu. He averaged a whopping 32.2 yards per return on 18 returns last year, including two he took all the way back for touchdowns. Jalen Rager will probably do the duties on punt return. He had 31 returns in 2021, averaged 7.3 yards per return. Not spectacular, not terrible either. He did have a 94-yard return for a touchdown as a rookie on one of his four punt return attempts. Does have some kick return experience. I think they're going to stick with their other guy there. Last time around, I would like to start with an analogy because the Packers and Vikings Week 17 game last year was a turning point for the Vikings. I wrote about this for Acme Packing Company. I would like to start with that analogy that I used in that piece and and sort of extend it here. You ever have something in your life that you know has to change and you know that you're going to change? It's just that changing things is hard. Maybe you need to break up with somebody. Maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe you just need to finally pull the trigger and say, yeah, we, we do need to get a new car. Something like that. That's how things were heading into that Packers-Vikings game last year. I've had situations like that in my own life, a brief metaphor. My first job out of college, uh, I was working at a tiny radio station, and the job that I applied for and was offered was described as a half-sales, half-on-air job. What it turned out to be was doing sales 
cold calling people trying to sell radio advertising from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Then if I wanted to, I could voice track stuff on my own time outside of working hours. And then I could come in on weekends, my assigned duties, and uh, cover the station's news on Saturdays and Sundays. It was said early in my employment there that if I worked on Saturdays and Sundays, I could have Monday and Tuesday off. I knew that that was not healthy to work seven days a week indefinitely. And time came and went. Um, you know, I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to leave that environment because I, I this is where I wanted to work. I, I didn't, didn't, didn't have any other options. This is the first job out of college. What am I going to do? Just give up right away? So finally, I went and talked to my boss and said, look, I can't keep doing the seven days a week thing. I got to have Monday and Tuesday off like we talked about, like you, you said that I could. And he said, you know what? You can have a day off when you're successful. So a couple of weeks later, I quit. And it, sometimes it just takes that kind of inciting incident to say, all right, we need to pull the trigger. We need to finally make the change. Incidentally, that guy's in the, in the Wisconsin Broadcasters Hall of Fame with that attitude. Um, anyway, I was not the only person who had that kind of experience with him either, but that is a story for another day. Anyway, I think the Packers' Week 17 game against the Vikings uh, was that incident for the Vikings because they came into Week 17 still technically alive for the playoffs. And the Packers took care of those hopes. The Packers functionally ended the Vikings season. Pretty slow start for the Packers. Did not do much on their first couple drives, but between the second quarter and the early fourth quarter, there was a six-drive span where the Packers scored every time they had the ball, including three touchdown drives of 60 yards or more. Devontae Adams, 11 catches for 136 yards. Uh, A.J. Dillon pounded in two touchdowns. It was, a, it was a good game. It was a great game. And the Packers cruised to a 37-10 victory. What about this one? How did the Packers get to a win in this game? I think there are two real big things the Packers have to do. First, they have to make enough stops on defense to avoid this game becoming a shootout. I don't think that's a game the Packers want to play with the Vikings in general, and I don't think that's a game the Packers want to play this week in particular, because I don't think the Packers want to try to have to score a bunch of points with essentially a brand new wide receiver room. Alan Lazard is dealing with a bit of an ankle injury. It's not clear if he's going to play this weekend. I I would prefer to have Alan Lazard out there. I don't know if this is like a week eight or a week 10 game that not having him out there is, is that huge of a deal. But right now you need that. I think you need that familiarity and having him out there would be a big deal for the Packers. So we need enough stops on defense. So this game doesn't become a shootout. We also need to find ways for the Packers to slow down the Vikings pass rush. Because I think there are some vulnerabilities in the Vikings defense in the passing game. The rookies they have might be an improvement over what they had last year, but they're still rookies. They still can be vulnerable in an NFL defense. So if the Packers can put those rookies in a position where they've got to defend, there are opportunities there for the Packers offense. But to do that, they're going to have to pass block because Zedaria Smith and Daniil Hunter are coming And depending what the Packers have on offense, on the offensive line, that could be a relatively fraught proposition for the Packers. So what do we think is going to happen? Let's make a prediction here. I do think the Packers are going to win. 
I do think that they are a better team than the Vikings, but I don't necessarily feel great about it. In our our uh, confidence picks pool for Patreon members uh, through the Power Sweeps Discord server, I had this as my lowest confidence game of the week. I think this is the worst time to play the Vikings. They have a bunch of key pieces who are old, and many of those key pieces have been hurt quite a bit recently, but here in week one, they're all healthy. The real story about this, uh, the real story about these two teams together or being compared to each other, might really be told in their second matchup. Then we'll see if both teams' depth survives. Uh, The Vikings will be a little bit more settled on offense, and for that matter, so will the Packers. This one feels in a lot of ways almost like an exhibition game, except it's an exhibition that counts. Both teams are settling in a lot of stuff at once here in week one. I am concerned about the prospect of attacking the Vikings through the air without Alan Lazard. It's not that Lazard is going to be that big of a difference maker by himself, but if Lazard is out, now you're counting on Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb and two rookies and Amari Rogers. That's three of your top wide receivers, three of your top five wide receivers who were not in Green Bay last year, and I think that's a problem. You're also, again, counting on the Packers' offensive line to do their job. If you've got David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, I feel pretty okay about that. If you don't have David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, well, they've survived that before, but it is considerably more difficult. I think the Packers win. I am not super confident about that. And as it turns out, turning to our polls, neither are our voters this week. 78% of our voters uh, think the Packers are going to win. That would have been one of the lowest totals of the year all of last year. But generally speaking, people are feeling pretty good about the Packers overall. 83% approval rating for the Packers as a team. That is a little bit lower than things debuted last year. 88% was the season opening debut, but still feeling pretty good. Taking a quick tour of a a couple other um, items uh, on the poll Uh, Brian Gutekunst is enjoying a 95% approval rating, 95.7. That'd be pretty good, but Matt LaFleur is all the way up at 98.1%, by far far the highest of anybody in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, people still feeling pretty good about him too. Uh, His approval rating sitting at 87.8%. That is a little bit lower than his debut last year, uh, but still uh, pretty darn good. Second-year defensive coordinator Joe Barry is at 80% approval. That is significantly higher than his opening from last year, where he started with a 1.9% approval rating. But down the stretch last year, if you remember from our conversations there, Barry was uh, at times the most popular man in Green Bay, right up there with Matt LaFleur, uh, finished the season with an 80% approval rating. Uh, let's talk about the new guy in town, though, Rich Bisaccia. He debuts with a 17.1% approval rating. That is not great, but uh, it is significantly higher than Maurice Drayton enjoyed last year. He made his de- debut in the Packers polling with an approval rating of 3.7%. I should note that most voters are pretty neutral on on Mr. Bisaccia. 70.7% of our voters said they had a neutral opinion of him right now. That's roughly in line with where Mo Drayton was at this point last year, too, at 79.6%. That's all I've got for you on this preview. Leaving you with one last thought, I am grateful to have you along for yet another season. 
as I've said a couple times throughout the offseason, this is season number seven for us. And that's, that's really exciting. Uh, we are in the back half of our first decade of running things here at uh, the Power Sweep in Blue 58. I'm, I'm really grateful to have you aboard for it. And I'm really excited to see what the Packers can do this year, what the Packers can do throughout the entire run of the season. It's going to be really fascinating to see how this team comes together how they grow, how they change, what new faces emerge this year. I'm really excited to see that. It's it's really exciting stuff, and I'm really grateful for everybody who has tuned in here, especially especially the new listeners as the show continues to grow. Uh, we're already on track to have one of our best Septembers ever here on the 8th as I record this, and boy, it's uh, it's just it's phenomenal to be here, and I'm really grateful uh, to have everybody listening in. Again, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. The next time we talk, we will have seen the Packers play a football game. That counts. That's really exciting. And uh, it's it's even more exciting. It would be even more exciting for me if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show as we get rolling for another season. And it's going to get more people involved in this conversation that we are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, Maybe me especially become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.